Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. We are from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church with five locations in Utah. Each week, we will be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And I'm so excited that you are here joining us today. And uh, we are continuing in Season 4 today. This is Episode 3, um, where we're in particular having staff on the podcast talking about things that um, they're thinking through or that they're passionate about. And uh, last week we had Kyle Henderson on, which uh, was a great discussion on mental health. You should go back and listen to that if you haven't. Week before that, I had Joe and Nick on as well. We were talking about um, emotions. Um, it sounds kind of like a weird subject to talk about, but it was really, really great, really helpful. And today, uh, we get to have on somebody new. Now, before I get to that, I just want to remind you guys of uh, just some easy, free things that you can do to help us out with this podcast. One, you can leave us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts or, uh, or Spotify. You can leave us a, a review. Here's one that we got on Apple Podcasts back in March. Five-star review. It says, listening to this podcast gives me a better understanding of the people sitting next to me on Sundays. Even if you do not attend SMCC, there's so much to gain from this podcast. So I I really appreciated that because I think that's true. Whether you attend SMCC or not, it is helpful to get to know some people that that are at the church and in a church setting. And and today is going to be very much the same with that. Um, So leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share it with a friend, text it to a friend, email it to them, post to social media so that somebody can see it, or as well, just make sure that you're subscribed. And so those are easy free things that can help us out. Uh, So today I have Mike Bell. Mike, how are you doing? I'm great, Adam. It's great to be here with you today. Excellent, excellent. And you've been on podcasts before, right? Like sometimes I have to like ask and kind of check. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you've you've been on them before. I uh, was running one with with a friend here from South Mountain for uh, about a year and a half, I think. Awesome! Yeah. Wow, very cool. So. Um, for those people that don't know, you are the Draper Campus Pastor. Yes. And um, man, there is a kind of long history um, with with you here in SMCC. I mean, I would say, I mean, long might be even underselling it. There's a lot to how you got here and and everything. So can you give our listeners a little bit of, of your history with SMCC? Yeah, sure. So back in 1997... Wow, my wife and I uh, received a cryptic email from Paul Roby, who had been my wife's college pastor uh, back in the, the late '80s. I don't want to date her, but um, <laughs> I mean, I did date her, but I don't want to date her. Uh, so anyway, she uh, she she got that email from Paul, um, and uh, he had officiated our wedding. I knew him uh, because when we were dating, she said, uh, "Man, I had this great." college pastor who I grew, I grew more under his ministry than anybody else in my life, and I would love to have him officiate at our wedding, and so he did that, and I got to know him through through our wedding, and we kind of kept in touch. He was living in Bakersfield at the time at a church there, uh, and so he sent this email that, that my wife intercepted, just asking us all these questions about what we were involved in ministry-wise, you know, were we leading any small groups, were we playing on any worship teams, were, you know, what else were we doing, and how was life and all this? And uh, we answered back, yeah, yeah, we're actually doing doing those things. We're we're on a worship team. We're we're leading a small group. Why? 
His next email was, I, I have this crazy idea to move to Utah and plant a church, and I was wondering if you guys would come with us. Whoa. <laughs> and, I mean, my wife was like, oh, my goodness. I, I, she was pregnant with our second child. We had just purchased a house. I had just got a job at Microsoft. There were a lot of reasons why that didn't sound like a good idea to her, you know. Initially, she was just like, man, I mean, that doesn't fit into the plan, you know, the kind of the yeah. way we were, had things laid out. But Paul didn't know that I was a nut job about LDS people. I loved hanging out with Mormons. I loved uh, speaking to them about their theology, the history of the faith. Um, Where did that spawn from? I, I don't know. Uh, huh. The Lord? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because literally when, I, when she said that, it was like, you know, the heavens opened and there was this light and this, you know, choir of angels. No, but I felt like it was like, oh, now I understand why well, I felt like I'd been prepared for this. Sure. Uh, and, and so Paul had no idea that, that I had that background. Uh, but I said, man, this sounds really interesting and really fun and challenging, of course. Yeah. Um, he was talking about moving to a town that had, oh, at the time, what was it? 18,000 people and, and no evangelical churches. Is that Draper? Yeah. Wow. And so uh, I thought, well, that also sounds thrilling and, and, and challenging. So anyway, we did, uh, we did a lot of... I like to tell the story about how um, we started a conversation and we were doing a lot of, of praying about it. And I don't know what we were expecting exactly to happen from those prayers, but I remember Paul one time... We were on the phone. He was checking up to see where we were at, what we were thinking about, and and he said, "What what are you guys thinking?" And I said, "Well, we've been praying a lot about it, and this and that, and the other thing." And he goes, "You know, Mike, I just want to encourage you to love God and do what you want, because honestly, I don't know whether God cares if you serve Him in Seattle or Salt Lake City or somewhere in Utah." And I, that just kind of blew my mind. That was not in my theological yeah. wheelhouse to think about God's will that way. That's so, that can be counterintuitive to what a lot of people have been brought up thinking about God yes. and His will. You 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 kind of earth shattering a little bit because you feel like you're supposed to be on this this thin line of of what God's will is, and when you step off of it, all of a sudden like something's gone wrong. Yeah, and no, it's it's kind of. Uh, <laughs> I remember a, a message we played here from uh, another. A pastor from outside um, over the Christmas season. It was called God's Will is Whatever. Mm. And he did a great job of explaining that very thing, that mm. um, God's given us a lot of latitude in our lives. Mm -hmm. Now, could he intervene and, you know, make it super clear that he wants you to do a specific... I think so. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to limit him uh, by any, you know, philosophical position that I take or somebody else takes about... You know, taking a hard and fast line, like, you know, it's only this way or it's only that way. But yeah. um, anyway, that definitely made an impact on me. And, and that's really what I did want to do. And, and, and really, Joni and I both were like, yeah. And I mean, she was thrilled at the idea of, of serving with Paul and Ginny again. Um, she had grown up with Paul's wife in that church um, that he had been at back in the day. So long story short, we made plans. We moved here. We got here, I don't know, three months after Paul and Ginny did. And uh, started the whole process of trying to figure out what is South Mountain going to look like, and it was it was Paul's vision and passion, and he's he he's a well-read guy, still mm -hmm. the the greatest leader that I've ever known personally, mm -hmm. and I just started learning a ton of stuff from him. Uh, he had never been a, a lead pastor, I had never been a worship leader. We were actually hired to do worship 
because Paul and Ginny knew they couldn't sing and couldn't play anything. <laughs> so how they how they spawn children that are as talented as they are is is yeah, a miracle in and of itself. Both right? their kids are great <laughs> at uh, music. Yeah. Yeah. So we we began that journey. We had our you know first church service in Paul's garage, um, and then we did a, a practice service in our little two thousand square foot building that we had rented and. Um, we we didn't know what to expect. He had said, you know, if man, if we end up with fifty people, it'll be a, you know, a, a blessing and a miracle probably in this environment. And wow. he said, man, I can. And we had raised some money. He had raised some support for us. And he said, I can guarantee a year. But after that, we might both be looking for other jobs. You know, <laughs> we really had no idea what to expect. And yeah. and uh, just experienced steady growth. Um, and added staff here and there, but so and then I was also the youth pastor in the in the early days as well. So, gotcha. um, we eventually. I mean, I, I can't remember how much of this has been told on the podcast, but we moved from that facility to the warehouse. Gotcha. And then um, about ten years in, I, I I mean, I was loving everything about what we were doing, but I developed kind of an ho- a holy discontent mm. um, over. Po- global poverty and just all these I, I was I, all these ideas spinning around in my head like why have I not really paid much attention to loving my global neighbor like I felt mm. like we had done a good job of, of loving our local neighbor here in Utah mm-hmm. with the place being so under evangelized if you will and uh, less than two percent of the population being evangelical I, it was a great place to do ministry it felt like the last frontier in, yeah. in some regard but um I ended up taking uh, a ten-year break from my from being on staff here. So, what year was that? That was two thousand nine. Is when okay. I when I left, and uh, yeah, Paul was really gracious about it. Um, he saw that I was I had some things stirring in me. And he goes, "Man, I get it." You know, he was about similar age when he decided to move to Utah. Sure. Um, so I ended up creating a nonprofit. Uh, well, actually, joining a nonprofit up in Canada and doing. Um, this other thing, basically helping churches do missions better, hmm. helping them with global partnerships and um, cross-cultural ministry. And so I still help run that organization, um, but I did that solo for about 10 years, uh, but never lost my passion for South Mountain as my church home, continued to uh, serve in volunteer capacities, was... Hmm. I came back in as interim campus pastor for a while for the what was Daybreak at the time, the South Georgia oh, yeah. campus now. Right. Um, a couple of different stints that way. But it was just that for a season there, my passions kind of flipped. Like I got all worked up about <laughs> this issue of, of poverty and, and, and the you know developing nations and all this kind of stuff and learned a lot along the way, a lot of things that I didn't... I didn't know what I didn't know when mm. I got into that realm. But But it's been a fun journey helping other churches get... Uh, uh, get more comfortable with international work, and um, yeah. and we continue to help churches do that through the other organization. But but then I was asked by uh, at the time in 2018 the the campus pastor here in Draper to help out with Celebrate Recovery to to provide some pastoral oversight there, which I had never done. I'd never been involved in a in in that kind of a okay. uh, recovery group. Started doing that. I gave him ten hours a week um, to do that, and then and then. <laughs> And then after a few months, he said, hey, is there any way you give me another 10 hours mm-hmm. and, and help me with small groups? And I was like, wow. Um, talked to my board at my other, you know, at the other organization. And they said, you know, if you think you can pull it off and it's okay with your wife, go for it. Mm. And then uh, 
soon after that, I was invited to a, a lunch meeting where I was, I, I thought I was just coming to talk about um, staff issues that we were having, uh, staffing mm-hmm. issues that we you need to take care of. Sure. Um, and I was asked if I would become the executive pastor at the Draper campus oh, at that geez. lunch. And I was like, you guys are out of your minds, man. I got another full-time gig. I'm not going to leave my, you know, we just recently rebranded that and, 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 and separated from the other organization that we were with. And so there was a lot going on there. But I realized uh, in that moment that my, my passions were also, there was something going on inside of me that I was, I was really enjoying church ministry again. And uh, there were some strategic things that I could do if I did make that flip and actually do part-time leading the other organization mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and, and, and give some resources to some of my other staff people in that environment and then come back full-time. And then, uh, so there, there I was, May 2019, back on staff full-time at South Mountain, enjoying it. And ten then, years um, later. Ten years later. And then we went through a whole bunch of structural changes, and I ended up being the campus pastor. So Wow. Long story short. <laughs> I know. Hopefully that was short. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love that. You know, a couple of things I'm thinking through, maybe some of our listeners might hear some of these buzzwords, and they, they may not know, maybe in their context, what it is. I mean, I hear you say, help churches do missions, and um, you know, maybe there's people out there who, who are saying, all I know is LDS missions. <laughs> what's the That's what's a the great difference? point. That's a great point. Well, you know, it's an umbrella term that can mean a lot of different things, and when I was saying that, I was meaning just this, this idea of um, expressing solidarity and compassion and either spreading the Christian message, the mm-hmm. message about Christ into other environments. That's typically the word. The way the word mission is used is uh, missionary. If you're a missionary, you're out there sharing uh, the truth about Christ mm-hmm. and, and what he did for, for individuals and, and humanity as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, for the cosmos, actually. <laughs> um, and so there's, there's that, there's the message part of it, but there's also the doing part of it. There's the, there's the holistic side mm-hmm. of mission. Mission can be like I said, living in solidarity with other believers in another place and um, and helping to bring flourishing into their environment and their community and understanding what makes a nation prosperous uh, and how there's there's biblical principles behind that and how you can bring those ideas and that information into another situation and help um, bring p- small pockets of change. If you're talking about a church in North America partnering with a church or a ministry overseas, mm. you're obviously not talking about making massive systemic change in the culture, but you can bring pockets of change to that local community, and hopefully mm. that will spread um, kind of like yeast in the dough, as Jesus said. <laughs> Excellent. So so that's kind of, when I say mission, I mean it in more, more a holistic, comprehensive way, but it can certainly mean message, it can mean... Um, uh, relief and development work, and that's really what we got into was doing relief and development work. Cool, cool, yeah. very cool. And then you know, it's interesting. I I think we've said it a few different times. Some of our people that we've even had on uh, just talk about and rave about celebrate recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people hear that term and, and maybe they kind of know what it is, but and they think, well, it's it's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous or something like hey, <laughs> easy for you to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like, what is what is that? Uh, what is that ministry that you definitely have a hand in here yeah. still? So, uh, there were a couple of individuals back in the 30s that, through spending some time with Christian, a Christian group, it was called the Oxford Group, actually. Okay. And the Oxford Group started in Oxford University and then kind of spread to different areas, and it was um, just kind of a Christian 
uh, discipleship revival movement. And it involved people getting together and, and really sharing deeply about what was going on in their life, ex- uh, confessing mm-hmm. sin, praying for one another, um, expressing devotional thoughts about things that they were reading in the Bible at the time or whatever. It was a little mini churches, little mini church groups. And so a couple of these uh, guys who were trying to figure out how to stay not drunk, <laughs> they, had, they were alcoholic, they were, um, it's a pernicious problem in a lot mm. of people's lives, substance abuse and alcohol abuse. And these guys were trying to figure out how do we stay sober, um, and they, they wound up in, in an Oxford group and started to experience some freedom mm. from their addiction. And uh, one of them never became a, a, a believer uh, of, this, of the stripe of a, a typical evangelical we talk about today. He was more of a, he had more of a spiritual buffet sort of attitude. Okay, the other yeah. one may have become a Christian, but they took concepts from the Oxford group and um, specifically from a, an Episcopal minister named Sam Shoemaker, and they created the 12-step program, which became Alcoholics Anonymous. Gotcha. All right. Um, and that has existed since the 30s and has helped a, a vast number of people with their hurts and hang, hang-ups and habits, and has spun off Narcotics Anonymous, um, Sex Addiction Anonymous, all these different anonymous groups out there. Well, gotcha. Um, as believers, we know who the higher power is that actually mm. brings healing and restoration to people's lives that are suffering from substance abuse and other addictive behavior. Yeah. And AA is, is it tries to stay nebulous about right. that to attract as many people as possible uh, to, to heal yeah. from their addictions. Now, yeah. one could argue, well, how far are you going to get if, you, if, if, if you're thinking that the, the higher power is the universe or it's the chair next to you or whatever, you know, because yeah. it's God as you understand him in AA. Um, so there have been various groups that have come up over the years um, that have created a, 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 a solidly Christian version or tried to create something that was a Christian version of Alcoholics Anonymous with varying degrees of success and failure. And um, a number of years ago, there was an individual named John Baker who created a program called Celebrate Recovery, again, taking some of the the core concepts of Alcoholics Anonymous, but making it decidedly a Christian thing. Hmm. So Jesus is the higher power unabashedly of Celebrate Recovery, and but they utilize the 12 steps. And they also created these things called the eight principles that come from the Beatitudes, hmm. from the Sermon on the Mount. And so, and there's, there's worship, there are messages that point people to Jesus, that point people to the healing that comes from surrendering your life to God. Hmm. Um, but they've, they've taken the raw material from AA that was neutral mm-hmm. and, and often biblically sound, I mean, and based in, in, right. in where it came from originally, um, and then incorporated a, a more comprehensive Christian um, community and culture into the programming. And so that's what Celebrate Recovery is. And um, what's neat, as I've studied the history of AA and stuff, is that when you get into um, groups as men and women at the end of a Celebrate Recovery meeting, you have an open share time. Mm-hmm. It, it really does mirror in many ways the original Christian Oxford groups gotcha. of the 1930s, and uh, which is really cool. So it's kind of full circle in a sense. Yeah, yeah. So that's what... 
that's what is is that does that answer your question? Yeah, I love <laughs> maybe the, more than you wanted to know. No, I love the history. I didn't know you know a lot of those pieces of it. Yeah, and yet knowing that you know there there are people that find success in something like AA, but yet also there seems like a core piece missing when it can be so ambiguous as to what the higher power is. Yeah. And yet, you know, we as evangelical Christians would, which is, I mean, it's not whatever you would choose, it's Jesus. And so celibate recovery is kind of an offshoot. Absolutely. That, yeah. That is specific to that. Yeah. And I would say it's more robust, um, obviously spiritually, but even relationally. Um, there, I, what I've heard from some people who go, you know, you've got people who go to meetings every night of the week because right. they're really su- suffering from uh, the desire to, um, you know, relapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they'll go to AA and, and, and NA and these other groups and they'll come to celebrate recovery. And, and what I hear from them is they're just, it's, there's a lot more joy mm-hmm. and, and, and purpose in, in CR in celebrate recovery than, than you will often find in, in AA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what it is. I think it's because the Holy Spirit is actually changing people's lives in Celebrate Recovery. And I've watched it yeah. happen. Sometimes you just you sit back and you go, this is amazing. Like, <clears throat> these people are coming here. They're singing some songs. They're hearing a message or they're hearing a testimony from somebody. Yeah. They're reciting some steps or some principles. Mm-hmm. And then they're sitting in a group and getting support from other people and just sharing just very briefly about their life. And they're changing. Mm, wow! And um, you know, now sometimes it's it's overt. You find out um, that oh you know, yeah, somebody actually prayed to receive Jesus, or you know yeah. whatever. It, they they come to the group in various stages of faith. You know, some are you know if you think of negative ten to positive ten, some people aren't believers at all, mm-hmm. um, and then some people are, and um, but yet they've fallen into you know whatever the hurt, the hang up, or the habit is. They're 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 stuck in a loop, and they're trying to yeah. get out. And so you see growth in, in various ways. But yeah, we've seen um, radical life change in in that group. And and then there are people who disappear, that vanish. Yeah. There are people that are transient, and there are people that have been dedicated the whole time that I've been involved since um, October of 2018. Some of the same people yeah. are in the group. And we've seen, at least at South Mountain, we've seen the group grow. And there's probably 40 to 50 people that show up every week. Very cool. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, that's Great awesome. community. And when you talk about hurts, hangups, and habits, I mean, everybody's got something. Yeah. If right, you're right. if you if you're dealing with something, if you feel stuck over some issue in your life, you should probably come to celebrate recovery and see if it helps. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. I've talked to some of the people that help lead that, and they said, I mean, almost anybody could, can uh, can fit in here. There's something. Yeah. yeah there's Absolutely. something that somebody's going through. And it's a great place to serve if you if you're trying to figure out how can I serve other people in my church community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great place to do that as well, especially if you're if you're relationally gifted. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well let's kind of jump in a little bit. You know, Mike, we've we've uh, we've got a lot of history from you and just what you're involved in, which is great. Um, but what we've wanted to or what we've liked to do so far is just talk about some of that that staff are passionate about. Mm. What is it that you are passionate about, Mike? Man, I would. I'm passionate about a lot of things. Oh yeah, um, right. But but probably one of my front burner issues is the kingdom of God, hmm. because I feel like uh, when I um, got all bunched up about global poverty, mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't know really why why was it why was it affecting me the way it was, and and a lot of the people that I was reading at the time were were just acting like you know the world's on fire. And the church is asleep at the wheel, hmm. and 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 that so that was kind of the 
the attitude that I took about the posture, I took more about myself. But I did look around and thought, you know, I don't see a lot of emphasis on this. Really, a lot of the nonprofit world is involved mm. in, in global poverty issues and compassion ministry. Um, but, I, but I wasn't seeing a lot of it in the church necessarily outside of, of the immediate church ministry. So yeah. I started to do a, a deeper dive and, and look into that. <clears throat> And, and realized that uh, a weird thing had happened in the church. Uh, and, it, and it didn't happen suddenly. It was, it was gradual, hmm. and it wasn't being talked about very much. I found a few people discussing it. And, and what it boiled down to was there was a time in our, our history back in the 1800s when um, the church was very involved in compassion ministry. Things, mm-hmm. things like celebrate recovery, or, or things that didn't have a name like that. There were things happening, social ministries happening, um, all the time uh, at, at a certain point in the church history in in North America. We were known as much for our compassion in society as we were known for evangelism. Hmm. Let's say, yeah. And then um, something really unfortunate happened. There was a bunch of liberal theologians from Germany whose teachings sort of infected the institutes of higher education in the Christian world hmm. in North America. And what happened was you ended up with a bunch of graduates, some of them went into the mission field, some of them went into ministry and into church life, with a low view of scripture hmm. and a high view of humanitarian work. Gotcha. And so they kind of left the spiritual side of things to God and um, and 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 some of them adopted a very universalist sort of attitude, you know. Well, God's going to save everybody in the end, or whatever. But we've got a lot of problems we need to deal with socially. Hmm. So there was a backlash among evangelicals or fundamentalists at the time to that mentality, and those people started using the language of the kingdom uh, to talk about what they were doing. And so hmm. the fundamentalist reaction to that was. We don't want to have anything to do with these mo- these modernists, these liberals that are um, selling out the Bible. Gotcha. And we want to make sure people are prepared for heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but but we'll leave the humanitarian work to these guys over here um, because we believe that Jesus is coming back any t- any second. There was yeah. kind of a millennial madness going on, you know, in the mid eighteen sure. hundreds as well. So you had the kind of the perfect storm of millennial madness and a reaction to liberalism. And um, this idea that, you know, it was more important to get people ready for eternity because the whole world was, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. And so <laughs> <laughs> let's just focus on personal redemption. Yeah. And, uh, and then there was also an educational backlash to that where we had the, the, uh, the creation of the Bible Institute. Mm. So it was, it was less of a, a formal education of liberal arts and, and that involved, you know, much more than than just biblical uh, mm-hmm. education, and it was more specific to biblical ed- education, but it left out some other important components. And so, mm. long story short, we ended up with the church bifurcating into two different groups. You had the fundamentalists, and you had the modernists. Mm-hmm. And s- after that happened, there was a gradual shift in the mentality of a lot of people in the church. And and again, it was kind of subtle, but what what ended up happening was the message of the gospel, which had been holistic, if, if you watch Jesus and what he did in his ministry, I mean, he's healing people, he's, uh, he's casting out demons, mm-hmm. he's providing for people, he even provided, you know, if you think about um, 
you know, like when he does the miracle of the, the, the fish in the nets, like he's providing for a business ultimately. I mean, they sold those fish, right? Uh-huh. So he, in, yeah. he increased the capacity of a fishing business. Yep. He was about justice issues. He was, um, he talked about, you know, how he was fulfilling a passage out of Isaiah, uh, releasing the captives and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then he he got um, ex- extremely upset in the temple courts over an injustice yep. that was being done, and he was turning over tables. So Jesus' ministry was was it was truth, it was justice, it was compassion, it was um, it was people's f- spiritual and physical well being, yeah. right? It was a whole package, and the church had seen that and and acted that way throughout history. All of a sudden, we found ourselves in. North America caring more about the spiritual lives of people and less about the physical. Hmm. And so the message then became more about getting ready for, for heaven, and um, discipleship became more about knowledge. Yeah. And so yeah. by the time I become a Christian, that's the culture that I encounter. Hmm. And so, I don't know, when I thought about Jesus saying, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, I thought about a bullhorn on a street corner. <laughs> I didn't think about going out and... and I didn't think about acts of kindness and compassion as being part of the gospel. I thought about those things as, you do, you do those things to butter people up for a gospel presentation mm. so that they'll listen to a, a, a gospel message about salvation. Yeah. Um, and I was challenged by somebody in a class I was sitting in one day where they said, you know what, a cup of cold water is part of the gospel. It's not mm-hmm. a precursor to the gospel. And that led to the question, well, what exactly is the gospel then? Interesting. And I, I realized in reading reading the New Testament that the gospel was always, in, in Jesus' mind, in the way he talked about it, was the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. He never says gospel of salvation. Salvation is part of the message. Mm-hmm. But it was a kingdom message. I'm like, well, what is the, what is the kingdom? Because hmm. I, mean, I always thought of that as like a metaphor for the church or just the general, you know, good things that we're doing out in the world or whatever. Yeah. But as I looked at that a little closer, you know, Jesus said in his famous prayer in Matthew, uh, "Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it, as it is in heaven." And I thought, hmm. okay, well then, that means that the kingdom of God is anywhere that God's will is done. Hmm. All right. Well, what is God's will? Is it just that people hear a message about eternity and how they get to heaven? Well, God's will is pretty holistic. Like I said before, Jesus' activity was holistic. And if you see the, you know, one of the last things Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28 was, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. Hmm. I thought, okay, well, that's that's much more comprehensive than just how to get to heaven. Teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Why? Is that is that just because Jesus wants a bunch of religious people that are doing the things that he said to do? Um, no. It's when you start to look at the message a little broader in its context, Jesus provided all the raw material in everything that he taught for human flourishing and peace in the in the world. And I discovered that actually what he taught and, and how he was asking the church to go take this message to, to the nations had a lot to do with what's known as the creation or cultural mandate in Genesis 1, mm. where Adam and Eve were told to subdue and steward the planet. And so theologians have, have often said there, there's much more baked into what Adam and Eve were asked to do than we typically think of. They were being asked to create culture. 
to go out and and create a world with the raw materials that God had given them. He had created them, and they were created in his image, and they were to go out and create more. And so Jesus was saying, yeah, this is, this is the reset. This is the global reset. Hmm. I have brought the means of redemption, the means for people to understand what the kingdom is, and I've explained to you how to bring the kingdom into all sectors and spheres of life. Hmm. Now go do that. Go, go disciple people and um, teach them to obey all this stuff hmm. because this is really the key to how the world is supposed to work and what God's will is is for us to glorify him and to flourish, wow. both spiritually and physically. So that's a mouthful, right? <laughs> but, it, but all of a sudden I'm thinking, this is, a, this is a bigger deal. This is a bigger message than I had ever learned as a new believer yeah. <laughs> it, 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 and the implications are, are massive, right? And so, so I started thinking about, we have a whole bunch of people living out in the world who, who think that the gospel is just preparing people for heaven. Right. And missionaries who went out and gave that message to people in developing countries. And so you wonder why countries are poor. It's because they were taught that they were being prepared for heaven, and nobody ever told him that God cares just as much about your physical life now as he cares about your spiritual life later. That's so key. It's, so it's interesting you say that, because I went through a little bit of that myself. Um, back in my teenage years, just realizing, uh, just as an aside, I remember just thinking, like, it's interesting how sometimes Christianity is presented as just uh, fire insurance, mm. right? Like the gospel is just space, like you said, just preparing for Jesus to come back, just preparing for heaven or hell, just pre- just preparing right. for those things after. But yet somehow um, we've lost this fact that Christianity is also provides us, like you said, with the tools and the resources and the principles to live an amazing life here and now also. Yes, yes just as exactly. Much. Yeah, and, and you know who understood this? Um, they get kind of a bad rap sometimes, but the Puritans. Mm, mm-hmm. The Puritans got this. Now, they didn't get it perfectly. Um, nobody has. There never has been the perfect... There never has been the perfect nation. I, You know, it's funny. When Jesus said, go and um, disciple the nations, some people read that and say, we, we tend to focus on the individuals. Mm. He meant nations. Disciple nations. Now, unfortunately... <laughs> We, we don't have an example of a nation that has been discipled perfectly. You're always going to have a mixture of lies and truths and distortions and uh, human nature. You know, we've yeah. got the sin nature of man is always going to infect us here. But the Puritans understood a lot of these principles, and they, they had a kingdom mentality. They did believe that they were, the reason that they were coming to the new world, uh, the, those that could get here, I mean, obviously there were some that were still in, in Europe, um, they wanted to bring the kingdom uh, from heaven to earth. And they mm. thought in this new land, we're going to get this opportunity to do this. Mm. And once, um, it's funny because you don't usually talk about the free market and the gospel in the same sentence, but <laughs> they recognized we really finally had the free market unleashed and, and, and the free market enterprise system and moral, the, the capacity for moral free market activity in, in America in a way that it had never existed before. Mm. Now, this had started a long time earlier with the monk estates of Europe. That's actually where the free market started. It started with the monks. Um, and then Europe did have some semblance of it, but then when, it, when you got it into the colonies and there were no chains on it, 
Uh, it was just basically unleashed. But mm-hmm. pastors in the 1700s, Puritan pastors were preaching from the pulpit to the businessmen, you have an ethical obligation to utilize the system that God has created for free enterprise um, in a moral... You, you have an obligation to use it in a moral way mm. and to utilize your profits for the kingdom and to treat your workers well. And shoot, it was easy to go to the Old Testament and go to mm. Isaiah 58 to see how God feels about workers who don't treat their workers well, right? Sure, yeah. So there was, there was some, some heavy uh, preaching in that regard back then. And... And I like to say, when, when you really look at the, the lay of the land and, and where we are today and, and, and the amount of um, flourishing that the United States has had over the last few hundred years, yeah. the most prosperous nation in the world's history, we are, res- we are responsible for the global economy. Hmm. Um, but it all it goes back to the Puritans. Hmm. So the church really did have a huge role to play, even when people didn't completely understand what was going on. Like, I don't think when your average person was walking into the bakery, uh, that it, whether you're talking about 200 years ago or now, the average person's not thinking, I need to love my neighbor as myself. Therefore, I want to pay a fair price for the bread that I'm about mm. ready to buy. Right, right. The, and the baker's not thinking to himself, I have legitimate self-interests. I have children who need braces, uh, and that's okay for me to have self-interest. That's dif- different than selfishness. Uh, yeah. uh, but I love my neighbor as myself, therefore I want to make the best bread possible and, and give it to somebody for the fairest price possible. Hmm. People aren't having that conversation in, 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 in internally on a conscious level, yeah. but Christians should be reacting and acting that way on a subconscious level. Yeah. But you see, that's a microcosm of what happens when the principles of the kingdom are carried out in everyday business transactions. Interesting. You know, I was just thinking about this the other day, and yeah, you're right, subconsciously, not consciously. Right. But uh, when I go out to, to this is kind of a weird example, but anyways, <laughs> you know, when I go out to eat, um, I think about how in other countries... Uh, we 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 tip here, right? In America, right. And that's and that's somewhat exclusive, somewhat to to this. But anyways, right. All that to be said, you know, I think I do think to myself when I go and I tip somebody, I think I I want to do this person well. I've been trusted with with means with um with with things that I can give to people, and I want this person to uh to to, to have a good day where they where they make money to support their family, right? right. That does like quickly run through my brain. And that's kind of an example. That of what is you're a great saying. example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we it's it's interesting how we we have to kind of balance the whole idea of like how do we get the best the biggest bang for our buck and looking for the cheapest this or that or the other thing and <laughs> yeah. um or, or or trying to negotiate with people like there's nothing wrong with all that stuff but this at the same time um we have to think about there, <laughs> the economy does a lot for a lot of people. Right, and so we should be. It, it's interesting. It reminds me of when, um, when George Bush, George W. Mm. After nine eleven happened, remember he made this comment about what when when people were saying, "What can we do? What can we do?" And he said, "Go about your business." And I think he might have even said, "Go to the mall." Mm. And people yeah. were like, "How insensitive! How ridiculous! How are you supposed to?" And he was trying to get this idea across that the best thing we can do is go about our business and don't let this. Uh, disrupt our economy mm. and disrupt our lives and create a bunch of damage on that level. Right. And um, I don't know that that translated really well, but I understand now what he was 
what he was getting at. And yeah. so um, the economy is a good thing. Now, <clears throat> the thing that's difficult when you live in a prosperous country is for a Christian to learn how to live in abundance without being attached to it Ooh. too much. Wow, yeah. Because that's the demise, right? I mean, materialism is just like waiting at the door. I yeah. I, I struggle with it myself. I mean, when you, <laughs> you see stuff, you're like, you're on Amazon, and you're like, oh, I like that. Or you're like, oh, uh-huh. I want the best version of this or whatever. Yep, yep. It's like, wait a minute. Let's dial that back a little bit. Let's remember what, you know. And that's where the teachings of Christ really come into play is when you see the blessings that have um, come about through the system that God has utilized, the way that reality works, and, and when you have moral market activity and flourishing happen... Um, it 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 works to create uh, flourishing, and it also creates to maintain it. In that you have to have checks and balances. You have to have a moral framework, and we all have to have moral checks and balances. Otherwise, the thing doesn't work, and it collapses. Yeah. yeah. And and unfortunately, we're we're seeing that today because a lot of a lot of things that were uh, the genesis of our culture can be traced to biblical principles, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're talking about the economy, whether you're talking about um, uh, just the way that we interact and, and do life together as human beings and the moral framework of society. That's all kind of collapsing in on itself because people don't understand where this stuff came from. Yeah. And they're trying to reinvent it. Yeah. And so our government spending is out of control. And so we, we've lost our... And, and you know, it's funny because a lot of people's personal debt is a microcosm of what the government <laughs> is yeah, doing, right? No like, we're, the whole society is on, is heading for a cliff, and I don't know, I don't know if we're going to be able to avoid that. But it's a great example of what can go wrong mm. when you don't have personal checks and balances, when the government doesn't have checks and balances, when there's when there isn't a balanced budget amendment, when there when the government is allowed to just spend willy nilly crazy, and then both parties are responsible. It's not any yeah. one you know, group that's responsible for that. So anyway, I feel like I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> but just to make the point that there has to be um, abundance without attachment to it at the same yeah. time. What a tough balance that is, I know, speaking personally, but yeah, um, yeah just to, to be able to want to um, enjoy life. Um, obviously, I mean, God's not against that. I just want to put that out there. Right. Uh, but also, I find myself, yeah, having to find that balance, walking a tightrope. Yeah. Of not being attached to the things that um, that then I can, you know, have or want. Um, and, and this is just a uh, really just me genuinely. That is one of the, the reasons why I give and why I support other places. Because I look at what I've been entrusted with, and I think, holy cow, I have to watch my own attitude, my oh. selfish desires and things. I have to give myself that reminder. It's not mine. So I have to have a regular practice yes. of generosity. You're a steward. Um, God right. owns it all. He doesn't just own 10% or whatever the m- number is that you've come up with. But right. to your point, I mean, I think it's good for the human soul, mm-hmm. not only to be giving to the local church, but to give, be giving to charities and to be supporting mm-hmm. um, missionaries and individuals and ministries, whatever, uh, is a huge deal. Um and I think materialism has actually been um, exacerbated by what I was talking about before, where we had this this um, this weird thing that happened to individuals in our culture, where we separated the sacred and the secular, hmm. the spiritual and the physical. Um, because just as the church did that, as I mentioned before, where one church got all about the sp- spiritual and the other one got all about the physical, um, 
people did that as well. Hmm. And so I think a lot of individuals, a lot of Christians subconsciously split their life into two chunks. And they think, well, I've got my spiritual life. I got my Sunday morning, my midweek, my whatever, my devotional life. And then I've got my secular life over here. And sometimes those two things don't meet in people's minds. And they they feel like, you know... (laughs) People have made the jokes in the past about you know different religious groups that's like oh yeah you can live like hell all week long and then you just go to confession and to, you know, take care of it or whatever. Yeah. But I think people do that subconsciously yeah. in, in 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 all churches where they don't tie their spending and their lifestyle and their decision making mm-hmm. Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday to what's going on on Sunday. Yeah, and they live a bifurcated life where there's two different there. You know Absolutely. what? In the Bible, there is no sacred and secular divide. It's all one thing. God cares just as much about your work, uh, your vocation, mm-hmm. your calling, uh, as, as traditionally it's been called. It's been called a calling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he cares about art. He cares about food. Mm-hmm. He cares about all this stuff. Yep. Everything, all of it. It's all part of uh, the kingdom. And so, we have to live holistically. We need to think holistically, mm. and make sure that we are subjecting all of our lives to the to the rule of Christ. I mean, He's the King, yeah. and we're the subjects of His kingdom. And His kingdom is pretty comprehensive. It involves the entire universe yeah. and all of reality. Uh, you know, Colossians says everything was created by Him, and um, He reconciled all things to Himself mm. through the cross. Not just the human soul. Yeah. He reconciled everything. Yeah. And so, the more we can think holistically. In theory, the the better we should do with materialism, or the lack of materialism, and, and thinking more about our brother than ourselves. Um, yeah. So there's this thought as you're saying all this that um, reminds me of when I was, uh, choose, you know, figuring out where to go to college, what I was going to do um, for career, vocationally, and you know, having friends who somewhat assumed that because I wanted to work. Um, you know, with a church because I wanted to be a pastor, that somehow that was so much more of a of a life to live than going to college to be an engineer and um, and and work. Uh, but the thing is, that's crazy. Is that it's, it's it's absolutely not. This here are the jobs that are good. You know, God gives a thumbs up to, mm-hmm. and here are the jobs where God's like, eh, you know, I could care, you know not really care about that. And yet there really is, no matter what you do for your vocation, no matter what you do for your career, there is a way to have a kingdom focus. Absolutely. And to live every day, Monday through Sunday, for the kingdom, for the gospel. You know, and it doesn't have to just be like, oh, I'm not a pastor, so I guess my, my life and my job are not that important. You know, and uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> that that is happening subconsciously and consciously. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, and right. a lot of Christians feel like they're second-class citizens because they own a business instead of being a pastor. Yeah, and that is so not true. Right? Uh, it's 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 a lie. Um, it's a satanic lie, I would say. Yeah, because absolutely. those are the kinds of things that subtly mess with people's heads and get them to. Um, I mean, they're just belie- they end up believing things that are not true about their own capacity, yep. and 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 ha- like you said, ha- how God values what they're doing. Yeah, you know that was part and parcel of the Reformation. Actually, mm-hmm. was this idea that the cobbler's floor was just as sacred as the pastor's pulpit? 
Interesting. And and vocation as calling was part of, of the new paradigm of the Reformation. Yeah. And we've lost that. We need to regain that um, because it's all sacred. Hmm. Um, I do believe that the word for work and the word for worship in the Old Testament is the same word. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, people need to understand that, and and God gives. And the thing with, you know, people who own a business mm-hmm. are obviously going to have more means to take care of kingdom work, right? Than a lot of people who are in full time vocational ministry, if you will. Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I would just totally agree. I'd say the people that I just found that are so influential in the influence influential <laughs> man. I don't know why I couldn't say that. Getting tongue tied uh, in the church that I've interacted with are these people who just understand that um, everything that they do, everything that they have is for God, um, regardless of what their vocation is or career. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they just live with such, their mindset is different than, than, you know, some other people that I mean, oh, I'm just, yeah. I just do this. That's all I do. You know, it, it's, it's a different mindset. Yeah. I think. You do your work as unto the Lord, be a plumber for the glory of God, be a teacher mm. and educator for the glory of God. Yep. You have different ways of bringing truth, justice, and beauty Mm. which is the kingdom, yes. into whatever sphere you're walking in. It's not just about, oh, I need to figure out how to share Jesus with my customer. Right, exactly. Yeah, like yeah, there may yeah. be, the, the, sure, sure, there could be something like that, or maybe you're yep. a teacher and you start a prayer group mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the teacher's lounge with the other people who want yeah, to pray with you. Maybe. Yeah, that, those are great things. But think about the, the kingdom principles that you're able to teach children, even if you can't mm-hmm. technically teach Jesus. Right, you right. can teach the principles that Jesus taught, mm-hmm. and 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 um, you know bring the kingdom into those kids' lives in, in little bite-sized nuggets. And wow. So there's there's yeah, you know there's a great uh, organization out there called the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. Oh, okay. So wow. if you Google that, they have a a, a regular um, e e blast that they send out um, almost daily. Hmm. With little devotional nuggets about the integration of faith and work that people oh, can that find. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Well, Mike, man, what a just a cool conversation. I love your knowledge and your history of this subject. I want to end for our listeners with, and I always like to do this next steps on the subject. I mean, mm. For the average person that's listening, and they're going, "Wow, I never thought about this. I never thought about this." I mean, what what can they now take this information and do going forward? And if you want to study this um, further, uh, there are a lot of uh, faith, faith and work uh, resources out there. You can find them on Amazon. Um, there's a, a website called Monday Church oh, that you can okay. go to. There's a course called Quorum Deo, cool, uh, which is living before the face of God in Latin. Uh, yeah. I think it's quorumdeo.com, and they have a, a couple of different. Uh, Oh, subsections of it. There's the basics course. Anyway, um, those are really good, hmm. and uh, they they go they do a deep dive into these topics. Um, hmm. Just uh, and talk more about living a holistic life and yeah. and the faith work um, connection. So I, I would suggest those things if somebody wants to do personal study. A Coram Deo is a free discipleship course. You basically cool. take on your own, and you can do it at your own pace. Cool. So that would probably be my, my primary place to send people. Yeah. And yeah. what if just for the average listener, you know, somebody who, maybe there's someone driving in their car right now listening to this, they're, or they're at the gym on the treadmill right now, and they're just thinking, man, I'm in, I'm in a, a, quote, secular career, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, what is it, what are things that you just suggest? I mean, you do this at, what, 
just a few small things that you can do at your job or think about, or just even change the way you think about your job, what would you say to that person? I would say, uh, when you're thinking about truth, justice, and beauty, then, then when you see opportunities and compassion, when you see opportunities to pour into other people's lives, hmm. uh, even if it's not, you're not, it's not an appropriate place to share who Christ is or whatever, you mm-hmm. never know when, when a, a conversation might lead to another opportunity. But just think about the kingdom principles of, of, of truth, justice, and beauty, and, and compassion. And so if somebody needs compassion, mm. be ready for it. Um, be ready to, to help people out when you notice that um, something's bothering somebody. You know, be interested in other people's lives mm. uh, at work. Think about how you could do your job with excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, think about the the how <laughs> your job is part of a much broader picture of how how society is functioning. You're bringing something of value. You may not feel it like you may be like a TGIF kind of person who's like, <laughs> I can't wait till the weekend or whatever. And even if you you're not really liking your job very much right now, just remember, do your work as unto the Lord, and mm-hmm. um, and think about the value that that job is bringing to the larger package of how the the culture and the society is working and how the economy mm. is working. Yeah. Um, the, the the system doesn't work if somebody isn't doing what you're doing, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> otherwise somebody wouldn't be paying you to do it. Yeah. So so think about the value of your work and 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 maybe help yourself a little bit because I know people do get into a rut and a grind and yeah. Um, those kinds of things, I think, are are a valuable way to um, to apply yeah. what we've been talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's so what I'd say. Maybe the smallest, most simplest thing is is just understand that what you're doing in your job, whatever it is. I mean, this applies everywhere. Um, do it as you know under the Lord, mm-hmm. but also realize how what you're doing is benefiting your fellow man. Exactly. Even if you're not getting the chance to share Jesus with them, maybe at this point, or maybe not in the near future, whatever. But you're providing something that is allowing, I mean, essentially the kingdom yeah. to come in some you're, form. You are loving your neighbors as mm-hmm. yourself by working. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. You're not because you're not staying. You're not sitting at home collecting a welfare check and playing video games. You're <laughs> contributing to the system. Sure. Now maybe the system isn't a Christian. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have a Christian label on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this kind of flourishing, we need we need the system to flourish, mm-hmm. and then we need to be able to explain to people why the system flourishes mm-hmm. and how why the system flourishes and why it matters yeah. and why the teachings of Jesus are way more than just religious platitudes. Mm. They wow. are the key to shalom, to yeah, peace. to peace. Yeah, excellent, Mike. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, so have I, I. I have appreciated your your knowledge on this subject and the history and the things that you know. Everything that you're saying right now, you know, just off the top of your head, uh, just shows how, how passionate you are about this. So thank you for that. Um, I'm sure our, our listeners appreciate that as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excellent. It's been great. Well, listeners, hey, thank you so much for being here today. Just a reminder again before we wrap up, I would love it right now if you can just go ahead and make sure that you're subscribed on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave a review. And if you think this conversation might be helpful for somebody, go ahead and text it to them or email it to them right now. Share it on social media. We would love that. Uh, really enjoyed this season so far. I hope that you have too. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, 
please subscribe, give us a rating, or share with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.